We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And have another awesome guest this week. We're going to be talking about Haiti and uh, what is happening in that country. Um, I think a lot of people are in the same position as me, where from the outside looking in, I, I really, I really don't know, and I don't have the the perspective to understand number one the history or and how things got to how they are today or the the current situation. Uh, so I'm bringing on um, Ryan Krim, someone who does know the situation, and I'll bring Ryan in now and then introduce him. So Ryan, um, he's a family physician. He graduated with a degree in ethics from Cornell in 1993, Georgetown Med School in 97, and completed his residency at Wake Forest in the year 2000. He's been married for 27 years, has five children. Um, three natural and two um, that he's added along the way. Um, his Haiti experience, he's been going to Haiti since 2012. He's worked with several different organizations. He currently works with Reach Out LaFond, and his eldest child works with Kids Connection Haiti. Uh, Ryan considers himself a, a libertarian, and he feels the best way to spread those ideas is by making the community in which you live and the world at large, better actions over words. I couldn't agree with that more. Ryan, welcome to Find Your Freedom. Thanks for having me, John. I'm excited to talk with you. Well, thanks for for coming on the show. And uh, I think you know this kind of originated through a, a Facebook conversation, uh, uh, talking yeah. back and forth in Messenger about what you do, and really um, talking about Haiti and sharing the work that that you're involved in. Uh, I think this is really something that is I'm not totally glossed over in the news, but barely talked about at all. And it, it really is a, a tough situation in Haiti from what I understand. And, you know, I think from my perspective, I want to understand how it got to be that way. And I know it's not going to be an easy answer, but, you know, what people can do to help. So hopefully there's um, something we can get to there as well. But before we get into that, Ryan, just so my audience has some background on on you um, as a person. I know I said some some stuff in your in your bio there, but to hear it from you, um, what you know, what drove you to to get involved in medicine and, and go to and go to medical school? Uh, to get as my dogs come in, um, what what uh, what drove me to go into medicine is I was a soccer player and I blew out my knee um, in college. And I uh, went and saw an orthopedic surgeon, and he was really a neat guy and fixed my knee so I could get back to playing. And, uh, and uh, I was like, all right, this is what I want to do. And so I went to med school, and then I decided that orthopedic surgery is not what I wanted to do because I didn't like being in the operating room. Um, but I like learning about people and talking to people and 
So it sort of led me naturally into family medicine um, because I didn't want to just see kids and didn't just want to see older people. So I get the full mm-hmm. mix. Um, but it's great. I love it. Can go anywhere in the world with it. <laughs> so yeah, and and it led you led you down to Haiti. So can you talk about how how that first happened? Yeah, so it was really interesting. So I was at uh, I do a little bit of sports medicine as well, and I was at a conference uh, on and wilderness medicine. I was at a wilderness medicine conference, and there was a group of doctors that right after the earthquake, they flew to the DR and then crossed the border illegally to help in any way they could. Uh, So, um, and they were just really inspirational. And I said, well, and I had done some mission work before. Um, I had spent a year in New Zealand working with the Maori and uh, I had been to Belize and Guatemala. Um, But I was just like, well, I'm going to go and see what it's like. And um, ever since that's, that's Haiti's held my heart. So the border between the Dominican Republic and Haiti, you said they crossed illegally. Is that something that is hard to do or is that, is it a border that it's easy just to, to cross? So it's, it's almost impossible to cross now um, because the DR is doing everything it can to keep the Haitians out. And right around the border, there's a lot of Haitian gangs. So crossing the border is almost impossible unless you fly. Um, and flying out of Haiti right now is also a challenge, especially if you're going through Port-au-Prince because the airport, there's a lot of gangs around the airport right now. So, so I, I guess to, to give, to give people perspective um, on Haiti, you know, we did, we talked about that, you know, the DR and Dominican Republic were, I, I was just there. My wife and I went on our, for a 10 year wedding anniversary and congratulations. Uh, it's, it's, it's so crazy to think that, you know, you're there in uh you know, tropical paradise in the in Dominican Republic, everything's peaceful. And just on the other side of the, the Island, you know, things are just, um, in, in total, total disarray. Not that the DR itself is, you know, it, it obviously does have its own economic issues and, and issues with, uh, authoritarian government, but how did, and I don't know how much that you want to get into the history of, of Haiti, but I mean, we can go back. And yeah. Yeah. T- go back. How, how did Haiti get in this position where it is today? So there's a whole bunch of different factors that contribute to it. So, um, 1804 was when Haiti, uh, the won its independence, uh, from France, um, there was a slave rebellion and France decided to impose, Pose, uh, reparations because they felt that they owned the land and they owned all the sugar cane. And so it took Haiti from 1804 well into the 1900s to pay off the debt, which today would have been in the billions of dollars. Also around that time, which is interesting, Haiti asked the U.S. for support because it was shortly after, you know, the U.S. had had their revolutionary mm-hmm. war. Uh, but the U.S. and almost every other nation in the world uh, would not trade with Haiti. So they sort of isolated Haiti from everyone else. Um, and so there was no place for Haiti to sell what it had, which was primarily sugar and coffee. And so uh, it went from being the richest, it was called the Pearl of the Antilles, and it went from being one of the richest countries or islands in the Caribbean to the poorest rather quickly. And they went through a series of kings and revolutions 
And then in 1915, the U.S. sent uh, the military in and they occupied the country from 1915 to 1934. And um, they imposed, they took about 40% of any money that Haiti made on, uh, on, on exports and things like that for sort of stabilizing the country. They felt that that was their due. And then following that, and one of the most important things uh, especially because I want people to be aware of what's of Haiti and what's going on there is um, the U.S. itself by uh, one of the things I think it's important to know is talking about when helping hurts. So one of the things that the U.S. did, Haiti didn't have a lot of food. So they said, OK, we're going to send in rice. So the U.S. sent in rice and it was below the market price of the rice that you could buy in Haiti. And so it drove all the people that were rice farmers in Haiti to be without a job. And so then they moved into the city, didn't have a job in the city, couldn't find work and lost their income and became reliant on support from others. And there's many ways um, when you're looking at charity uh, where, where uh, you think you're doing something good mm-hmm. and you hurting the people that you're trying to help yeah and they probably they probably got rid of an entire generation of rice farmers that right exactly yeah yeah it just it just wipes them out um and there's multiple times when people think they're doing something good in another country and it and it just leads to more poverty i mean i can give example after example after the earthquake the uh, people sent clothes tons of clothes went to haiti Interesting enough, they sent winter jackets to Haiti, which Haiti doesn't really need winter jackets. But um, but it put all out of work all the people whose job it was to make clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's shoes in, right? So um, you can bleep this if you don't want to cause a riot. But uh, Tom's shoes, people might have heard of, right? They give shoes to countries. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that do? It puts out of work all the people whose job it is to make shoes. So. Um, there's just example after example of, you know, not understanding the situation on the ground and, you know, feeling like you need to donate or do something or help. It might be Haiti. It might be some country in Africa or South America, or, but, but, you know, really understanding the situation and what the people need is important. And, and really the focus is you're never going to raise a country out of poverty by charity alone. It just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah. sorry. No, I'm just, so, I'm just going to add to that because because it's well when this airs it might not be as relevant in the news but what what's happening in Hawaii right now with the fires and there is all kinds of you know different goods and, and things being being sent to Hawaii. I don't know that right. you, you bring up a good point there. I, I mean, how much thought is going into what's what's being sent and what's needed and what kind of economic impact is that going to have? Um, Obviously, Hawaii is a part of the United States, but it's isolated, you know, on its own. It's an, um, obviously um, different than it, uh, if there's a disaster in the mainland United States. So something to keep an eye on there. But anyway, sorry, continue. No, no, that, that's absolutely correct. And and obviously, you know, when there's an immediate disaster, there's immediate needs, right? Because mm-hmm. things are broken or shut down. But then people keep doing those things and then you just wipe out like the rice one other thing that happened to Haiti is they had something called the Creole pig and there was a virus that came through 
and the U.S. and U.N. forced Haiti to kill its entire livestock of pigs. And there was a few that hung on or kept, but essentially the pig went extinct. And, and during that time, if you had a pig, you could sell that pig for meat. You could raise it. You could have other pigs and it would feed your family, right? Along with mm -hmm. small gardens. That they, well, no more pigs, no more food. What, wh why did they force all the pigs to be killed? So there was a virus that was going on and they didn't want it to spread to other countries or spread to the U.S. It sounds similar to something that just happened in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, with yeah. a different virus, <laughs> um, yeah. but some some something like that did happen with uh, with chickens. I believe it was you know around yeah. last yeah, yeah. last summer um, there was a, a bird flu or something that was happening, and millions of chickens were killed um, because of that same reason. Yeah. So that's it's common, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it is. So. Let's let's talk about your your the first time that that you went to Haiti. When when was that, and what was that experience like? Um, so it was really really eye opening. So um, I never, uh, you know, I had been in places probably you would consider you know third world like Guatemala and parts of Belize, um, and you know I'd seen poverty, but the Haitian poverty is on a is just on a different level. Um, it was, um, there are bourgeois, what the, it's bourgeois is what they, uh, call the people that have money in Haiti. And so there are some beautiful places and beautiful things. Um, and the country itself, once you get out of Port-au-Prince and some of the cities, it's, it's like Caribbean Island. It's gorgeous. But in the cities, I mean, just, there's no sanitation. The electricity doesn't work most of the time. If you want electricity, you either have to get solar or have some kind of battery backup. Um, it, it's, it was, you know, um, just the amount of poverty and the way people were living was astounding. And the first time I went, I went um, with an organ, a different organization um, um, called Awaken Haiti, and their primarily focus was on orphanages. And now that's a whole other thing we came on. So I learned a lot about orphanages in Haiti. So um, do you mind if I just sort of ramble on? Stop me if you no, have any just, questions. No, just, yeah, just I'm hitting, hitting right. play on you. So just, just okay. go. All right. So in Haiti, uh, there, there are some, um, some of these uh, orphanages. A lot of the kids actually have parents, right? But the parents can't afford to have the kids, so they'll send them to an orphanage. Mm -hmm. Now, some of those orphanages will treat the children as sort of child slaves. Uh, other orphanages won't. So they'll make it look pretty, say, hey, we're helping these children, uh, but they're not really feeding them or taking care of them. So if someone, like you might have an organization in the U.S. and you're going down to visit and you're saying, hey, look at this beautiful orphanages and we're taking care of the kids. But then when the people from the U.S. or Canada or wherever go back, then the kids go back to sort of uh, third-class citizen status. Um, so, um, so it was eye-opening to learn about that. Um, we just the lack of medical care, given what I do, um, was very interesting. Again, an, uh, an example of when helping hurts, like a lot of people will go down and sort of do these pop up medical clinics. 
So you'll have kids with diseases or issues, or even see some of the adults and the workers there. And, and um, you know, they'll have high blood pressure or other issues and you bring medicines or you buy medicines there. Well, what happens when you go away? Right. Right. They're not getting their medicines anymore. Yeah. So, um, so really what we try and focus on now is working with the doctors in country and buying the medicines in country as opposed to bringing them in. Um, um, just uh, the other thing I learned is that Haitians are some of the most loving people I've ever met. Um, they're, they're what's called a hot culture. So for me, you know, living in uh, Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, my uh, Scandinavian and German roots, you go down there and everybody talks really loud. And you, when you see two people talking, um, you think they're having an argument, but no, that's just, the way Haitians express themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they also greet you sort of in that French way by kissing you on the cheek, which was very, you know, different yeah. <laughs> for me. Um, and the other thing is the Haitian food is absolutely incredible. My wife jokes that I'm the only person to go to a third world country and come back 10 pounds heavier. Um, but they will do everything for you. Let's, they might like a family might only have one chicken and they'll kill that chicken and you'll eat it. Right. And that's just the way they are. You know, they, they're so happy to see you and so loving and so kind. Um, it, it's just an amazing culture. So, so and, I, I know a couple, a couple of things that, that we talked about, you send me, you know, send me some stuff about Haiti yeah. um, in another message. And something that stuck out to me was the prison system, the lack of any sort of a functioning judicial system. Um, right. Can you just explain, you know, what that's like, you know, playing out in, uh, in the country? Yeah. So, um, so we can talk about sort of judicial and then government too, um, and mm-hmm. sort of how that all contributed to this, but the prison system itself, like um, if you get arrested, we're two young men that, uh, were involved in another the organization my son works for, and they were arrested um, for probably something made up. And they've been in prison for ten years. They've never seen a judge. They've not, don't have like they've we've given money to lawyers, and the lawyers will take the money, but then not do anything. Um, in the prison, they get one meal a day, and it's called mayimulin, which is basically uh, corn mush. Um, there are no beds. If you want a place to sleep, you have to get funds from outside to buy a bed and have someone bring it to you. Um, there's, uh, it's 800% overcrowding in prisons at this time. So it's just, um, it's just a mess. So, so they um, just lock up anyone they want to without any sort of due process. Pretty much. Yeah. Yep. There you go. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I, I it's just, it's a hot mess. Mm-hmm. You know, um, keep going. And, sure. and there's more, there's more I want to come back to, but I, I kind of did want to jump to the current status of Haiti right now. Cause I know it's, it's been in the news with what there was a, there was a kidnapping, right? Uh, a mother and daughter, which I think they were released. And then around that yeah. same time, the U S government gave some sort of advisory against travel to Haiti. 
Yeah. So the last time I actually was in country in Haiti was in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are times when the violence spikes and times when it calms down. Um, But the, the current situation is um, what, and what sort of led to right now is uh, there was the assassination of uh, Jovenel Moise who was elected and right before he died, he appointed this gentleman, Henri, to be prime minister. And so there's some thought that uh, Henri was involved in the assassination. So right now he's the functioning prime minister and leader of the government, although there's really no functioning government. And um, let's go back a little bit in time. So even before that, the first, so right now the gang's, pretty much control everything, uh, stuff getting out of the port, going to the people, all the major roads either. So Huntry's, Haiti's kind of shaped like a C and Port-au-Prince sort of sits in the middle here. And then there's a main road going to the south and a main road going to the north. Well, the towns, the, the one in the south is called Matisan, and that's basically gang controlled. So if you want to go from Port-au-Prince to the south or get food to the south or anything like that, um, and flying is quite expensive there are there are airports but they're not easy to get to or affordable you have to pay the gang's money to uh, get there and if they don't know you or don't like the way you look they might decide to take you out and shoot you or kidnap you um and especially like if i went there and i was traveling to the south with my my friends from haiti um because um what they call blonde B-L-A-N, which just means white, but uh, if they would, blondes mean money for the gangs, right? Mm-hmm. So they would either probably kill the people I was traveling with, my Haitian friends, and then take me, kidnap me, and then hope to get paid by family or the U.S. government or wherever the funds would come from. Um, and then usually they let the blondes go, but not always. Um, but going back any further, these gangs really, um, you talked about the DR. So there was Papa Doc and Baby Doc. It's so much to fit in. I, I know there, and if anybody ever has any questions, mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you can find me or ask me more, but Papa Doc and Baby Doc had what were called the Tauntauns, which were basically Tauntauns means uncles. And they were gangs that would go around and create violence or kill and rape people that weren't in support of Papa Doc and Baby Doc. Then the first elected president was Aristide, uh, and that was around 1990, 1991. And he formed what were called chimeras, which is basically like the beginning version of the gangs that you see today. And they were given guns and protection to protect Aristide. And Aristide's an interesting dude. He was like a, do you know what liberation theology is? Uh, No, I don't think so. So it's... probably some people will know it's sort of like, like Che Guevara type stuff. Okay. Um, and so, uh, so he sort of practiced that and used these gangs to sort of solidify his control. And ever since then, both the U S has been involved in the, all of these elections and, um, all of the politicians sort of have their own paid protection forces, which really led to these gangs now. One of the biggest gangs currently is called um, the G9, and that's led by this guy, uh, Jimmy Scherzer, but he goes by Barbecue. 
Now, some people say he's called barbecue because that's what he likes to eat. Some people say he's called barbecue because that's how he kills people he doesn't like. Now, he will say he's for the people and he's trying to rise up. Um, and there's some thought that he was associated with Moyes, who is the president who was assassinated. Um, but it's hard to say. So he, for a long time, controlled the ports and all of that. Although now there's some other gangs that are also getting involved in that as well. But right now the situation is the gangs are in control. But um, there are, um, it's a movement, and I'm going to forget the name because it's called Boacali. And basically that's, it's, it's kind of a dirty word. It means erection in Creole. Um, but the Boacali um, which are the people, they'll wall off their neighborhoods, right? And so they won't let any of the gangs come in, but they have machetes and the gangs have guns, right? And so, um, but they've done some sort of uh, uh, vigilante justice against the gangs. So you have the gangs creating violence, you have the vigilantes creating violence. And the vigilantes, some people are like, hey, that's great, you're taking back. But the problem is, is a lot of the teenage boys are forced to join gangs, right? Mm -hmm. You have to join us section or things like that. So sometimes some of these teenage boys are killed. We just had, uh, he wasn't in part of our organization, but he was friends with some of the kids that, that we help educate and lead. Um, and he was shot dead. There, we had a picture of him dead in the street. He still had his school backpack on, you know, and he was not a gang member. So sometimes Vigilantes are good. Sometimes not, not, not so much. Right. Yeah. They're us using, it sounds like they're using their own, you know, kind of getting the, getting fed from the, the, the gangs are being fed by, by the youth and they're using those same youth probably as the, the front line. And then the, the vigilantes are, are taking them out. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle. Um, not, not, I mean, similar to what's happening in, in Ukraine with, uh, you know, the, the, yeah. the young Ukrainians um, and young Russians being sent to the front line and wiping out a generation of Ukrainians. Also extremely sad. Um, so in Haiti, you, I can, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say, um, um, I'm going to go back a little bit to right mm -hmm. after the earthquake. So yeah. things were, were recovering. Some stuff was promised. There was immediate needs being met. Uh, but the Clintons were there and they promised all this money from the U S but somehow all of that kind of disappeared. And then the UN was there. And while the UN was there, there was, I think it was all right. So I, I apologize to Burundi if it was not Burundi, but they brought in cholera. And what they did is they built this compound for the UN, but they didn't have proper sanitation. So all the poo, all the shit was going into the water source for the Haitians. Jeez. And Haiti had never had cholera. And, and the UN for years said, oh, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. And the book I'd mentioned, the big truck that went by, um, the reporter there talks about how it proved. And the UN still has never taking full responsibility of that. In addition, uh, the UN formed uh, rape gangs. So some of the colonels uh, had, it was something like five to 10,000 children 
that were part of these rape gangs, and they would use them to give out favors to some of the soldiers. So some of the UN soldiers were, yeah, pedophilia, something that we're unfortunately hearing more and more of. So that also contributed to some of the stuff that's going on now. You know, they just, you know, so there's a lot of problems within Haiti itself, but the world certainly hasn't done any favors mm-hmm. either. Yeah. So there's no, so there's the, the problems internal uh, to Haitians. And then now there's, they're not going to trust outsiders as the outsiders who have come in have done nothing to, not, I'm talking about the U.S. government and the U.N., not about people like yourself. Um, but it yeah. makes it probably makes people like yourself who are you know trying to come in and help, you know, medically and in other ways to even be accepted to help. Yeah, it is. But, you know, um, but I've never I'm sure there were parts that I probably didn't know were unsafe, but I've never felt unsafe when mm-hmm. I've been in tree. Um, mostly because of my Haitian friends. My friend Junior is an amazing man, and he is an excellent talker, and he can talk anybody down. <laughs> He's quite, quite mm-hmm. a, quite a great man. Right, so. so, are you able to? You're able to keep in contact with your your friends in Haiti. I am. Yeah, there's. Uh, we use mostly use WhatsApp because mm-hmm. that's you know, cheap and stuff. There are cell phones in Haiti, um, but mostly they're using SIM cards and they're expensive. Yeah. But, um, and there's no really solid internet signal or Wi-Fi signal down there because it comes and goes as everything else does in the country. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I guess this kind of gets us to, to a question. I mean, you've kind of laid out the history you've laid out the, the issue with gangs being in control um, or, or I guess to a certain extent gangs being aligned with government officials and, and vice versa um, distrust of people on the outside. And also talking about how maybe when you think you're helping sending different goods, there, medicine there, you might not be helping. So mm-hmm. how, how, what does Haiti need? How, how does Haiti get out of the the cycle that they've that they've been in it's a great question and i ask that of of all the people i work with and i have some friends who are haitian physicians and uh just my haitian friends as well and so um the opinions vary but the most common thing you'll hear you'll hear is, you know, uh, small mobile organizations and some organizations that are verified, right? So if you're going to help and what those organizations do is important, right? So um, you they need to have an understanding of what's going on in ground in the country and what the people actually need. And so most Haitians drop out of school by fifth grade. So there's a, mm-hmm. very much a lack of education. And then the other thing is like, the amount of money it costs to get into a trade school or college or medical school or dental school is astronomical. And most Haitians can't afford to do that. Um, so education's a big part of it. Right. Um, and, uh, so taking kids, um, cause there, there is a tourism industry in Haiti. It's mostly in the North. There's cruise ships that stop there. That's sort of walled off. But if kids learn English, their ability to get a job in that tourism industry is important. So educating in English, education in trades, 
So they're not the Haitian schools are a whole other thing. There's government schools, but the schools in the mountains, you have to pay a teacher to come there. So most families can't afford like a tuition. So quote unquote, school is free, but it's not really free. Um, so one of the things that we do is support children going and getting education. One of the other things that we support is teaching kids trades and leadership skills. So the goal is to raise up leaders within country that can help their own country. So one of the things uh, that's important to ask, okay, we're going to help you, but what are you going to do with our help? Like, how are you going to help your the fellow people? Mm-hmm. Which sort of goes along with my my libertarian views. You know, like right. you're not just giving something away; you're you're lifting people up and then having them go out and spread the message and stuff. Because there really is no functioning government, right? So um, it's it's relying on the people to sort of t- take over and rise up and and find a way. Yeah, I mean it's it's similar in a way to what this country needs. Obviously, you know we we don't have the same problems that Haitians have. We live, you know, we have first world problems, but right. to a certain extent, you know, things at the federal level and and all of that stuff, it's totally out of our control. Um, right. And the way to to change things and really affect change is you know in your community, talking to, with your neighbors. Right. Um, getting involved locally and uh, making change that way. So, I mean, I, I think I think that's the answer to to most of the problems that we have in the world. And we we spend so much time focusing on on, on everything else. And I, I do wonder in Haiti how much of a difference it would make long term just by getting um, internet access. You talk about education, um, but you do have to worry about how much, I mean, w- with being cut off from all of this and then all of a sudden, if they had exposure to having cell phones and having Wi-Fi and all of this content, it, it might have the opposite effect. But ideally, you, you would hope you could make it possible to make it easier to educate people because we have these devices and um, Elon Musk can set up Starlink and give the entire island um, Wi-Fi. But I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought. It probably certainly would help in the education process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, um, it's not. It's going to take generations, right? It's you know, hopefully, what we're doing now will have an impact on the next generation, and then the next, and so on down the road. Um, the other thing is, you know, um, there's a couple things that Haiti does really well, um, and. Um, Another way to support and sort of help businesses in that country, I don't know what that is there. Turn off my phone, sorry about that, um, is to, to, to um, get things from Haiti. So Haitian coffee is amazing. I think it's some of the best coffee in the world. Um, Haitian, uh, there's a vanilla industry and Haitian vanilla is, um, it is super potent. So if a recipe calls for vanilla, you cut it in half using Haitian vanilla. Um, the other thing they do is they have an incredible metal art industry. Mm-hmm. And so what they do with like old scrap metal, they make art pieces um, and they're gorgeous. Um, I'm not in a room where any are hanging right now, but we have some here in our house and they're also 
excellent painters. So buying something from the country. Um, and there's some organizations um, that, that specifically sell Haitian goods from Haiti and the money goes to the Haitian farmers or the Haitian artists directly, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, other ways. That would be another way to support. Yeah, that would be also be very libertarian commerce uh, right. brings people yeah, together. Exactly. So I wanted to ask you about about um, about reach out La Fund. Can you can you tell us yeah. what that's what that's about? What the what the mission is? Yeah. So we have sort of uh, three prongs to the mission. So one is our elementary education. And uh, we're, we're working in two places. We have uh, a, a location in Port-au-Prince and a location in Lafond, which is in the sudest, in the southeast of the country. Um, and in Port-au-Prince, it's city. In the Lafond, it's up in the mountains. There's farms and stuff like that. So it's, it's actually two very, very different populations. But our mission we focus on elementary education, especially in the font, because like I said, you have to have, you have to pay for a teacher to come there. Um, even though there's farms and there is food, um, we uh, also help support the kids. I think we, we provide something like 5,000 meals a month to the children so they can have food when they're at school. Um, so we're paying for the elementary education for these children and we're also sort of supporting them um, by feeding them because mm-hmm. you know, hungry bellies, they don't, you know, makes it hard to learn. Um, the second, uh, second, so those are two parts of it, the feeding program in the fund and elementary education. And the third thing we do is called the REV program. REV in, in Creole means to dream. And so what we do is we focus on, getting kids uh, to learn a trade. So uh, we'll have people who sew come in, even t- the boys and the girls can be tailors, right? So mm-hmm. uh, teaching all of them to sew. Uh, if they're interested in masonry, there's a lot of, ma- most of the homes in Haiti are from concrete. So learning masonry skills are a lot of tile in Haiti, laying tile, um, electrical skills, computer skills, English skills. And then we also do sort of leadership things. Like I'm sure you've probably done some leadership training in Haiti. You know, that education in Haiti um, is not sort of based on problem solving. A lot of it's rote memorization, Mm -hmm. like that type of classical European style. Um, So we're saying, okay, well, here's this problem. What's going to be your solution? So we'll give them a complex solution and they have to work as a team to solve it or to come out with a way of how they Mm -hmm. solve it. Is um, it's not something that they're taught in school, even if the kids can afford to go to school or in high school. So the rev program is high school students, and so, that's so, sort of what we focus. So on. is it something where where there there are you know applying to get into it, or are you going out and finding applicants, or how does that work? So they have to apply, right? So we employ Haitians to help us. So mm-hmm. there are blondes, there are um, people from the U.S. That, that sort of funnel the funds to where they go. But a lot of it is Haitians teaching Haitians as well. So, um, yeah, so they the students have to apply. We have to look at, you know, we require that they maintain good grades. We require attendance, you know, so you can be kicked out of the program. Mm-hmm. That's a tough decision to do. But, you know, if they're not willing to put in the work and we're putting investing in them, 
you know, we're investing in you. You've got to show us that you're willing to do what we need you to do. So, And and is, how was that funded? Is that something that people can donate to? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every little bit goes a long way. So, um, we just did, uh, uh, 80 for 80 where I walked 80 miles and, uh, my goal was to raise 10 miles, $10 per mile where I was able to do that. So, um, the average and, you know, so that was $800. If you think, uh, the average salary in Haiti, um, is less than $5 a day. And the un- unemployment in Haiti is something like over 80%. Wow. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot. The other thing that I want to talk about really quickly sure. is, and another thing that we do is um, there's, the Haiti has a, has slavery. They have child, I mentioned it briefly with the orphanage, but they're, they're called restaviks. And so if you have, one too many children, maybe somebody from the city will come out and say, Hey, well, well, they're in the country. We'll, we'll take your child, raise them like our own and pay for their education. But that's not what happens. The kids end up being childhood slaves. They clean the house. They don't get educated. They're barely fed. Sometimes they're chained in a backyard of a house and sleep outside with the dogs. So it's a pretty awful situation. So one of the things we do is if we can find, you know, we'll hear through the community or, Hey, this is happening. You know, we'll try and step in and, you know, you have to pay the family off to get the child mm-hmm. released and then sort of try and get him into education and stuff. So, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. There's like, so one of my, one of the things my Haitian friend says is if you look at the whole country and the whole picture, it seems insurmountable, but doing little things and doing little things one at a time, and raising up individuals mm-hmm. is best because just sending money to Haiti, that's not going to fix the problem. Yeah. F- focus, focus on the good and keep trying to expand, expand the good. I guess that's the recipe. Right. Um, a- anything yeah. else? Um, I'm sure there's more to talk about, but um, no, a- anything else that's, so much- that's really, really important um, that, that we missed um, that, that you want to, you want to speak to? Yeah. So I want people to recognize, like I said, like looking at Haiti, um, it seems like an insurmountable problem. But being in country and being with my Haitian friends, um, it's the people are incredible. They love their children like we love our children. And they're just trying to find a way to get their children educated, to feed their children, to help lift their children up. Um, and it's, uh, it's especially now it's a very difficult to even protect. Um, there was just, uh, one of the neighborhoods where some of our kids live was just under attack by the gang. So the people in the neighborhood, they had machetes, so they tried to raise up, but the gangs were firing and the bullets just go right through the houses cause they're made of tin or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, just, just know that the people that, that, I work with and and my friends in Haiti are, uh, they're so generous and so kind and so loving. They would do anything to protect you. Um, My friend junior, I know would jump in front of a bullet for me. Um, That's just the, and probably anybody I met in Haiti, even if I didn't know them, Mm -hmm. you know, especially um, they're just amazing people. So, 
Your, your video is starting to, to break up a little bit, Ryan. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, I can hear you now. Um, okay, so I, 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 d- I did want to ask you another question here. So, so you've spoken about your friend Junior a, a couple times. Um, can, can, yeah. can you share how, how did you meet him? Well, I met him the first time I went down and he was just a young kid. He actually was an amazing soccer player and had a chance to play for the national team, but he hurt his knee. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's not great doctors, so he couldn't get a surgery. So he sort of ended his soccer career. Um, And he was working as a translator then. And his English is amazing now. He's worked his way up. And uh, he ended up marrying... uh, my friend Jamie, who's from the U.S., and uh, and uh, I've been working with him since 2012. Mm-hmm. He's just, I, I, he's a remarkable man. Yeah, just amazing. <laughs> um, well, that's that's awesome, and it's it's amazing that yeah, you're able you're able to have a bond like that with someone so so far away in such a uh, a separated country. I think that's. That's really cool. I'm going to, if I may, I'm going to say um, it is. And I had another really good friend in, in country. His name was Schneider. And Schneider, um, I met, and he was a translator. And he graduated college and went to med school in Haiti. And like the U.S., it doesn't take four years. It could take as long as they want it to take because there's mm-hmm. – no functioning government. And sometimes they're like, Oh, you didn't do well in this class. You have to take it again and pay more money. So he was supported to go to med school. He graduated med school and uh, Schneider had a sickle cell anemia and um, he had just joined to work with the organization. My son works with as a doctor helping taking care of the kids, that organization rescues kids from gangs. The one my son works with. Um, and, uh, he was giving healthcare to them as well as some of the other, um, orphans in and around Port-au-Prince. And, uh, he went into sickle cell crisis and went to the hospital and the hospital had no meds, no IV fluids. And, um, he knew he was going to die and he died. And, um, it was, it was really devastating. Mm. It was, uh, it was a great loss to the country. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, it's hard hard to follow that follow that up, but you know, I think as as we look at at Haiti from the outside, you know, I think that Ryan has provided really um, some means to to really affect change um, through different organizations. And also some advice on what to look for in organizations that maybe you don't want to be dealing with and, mm. and, and you might want to avoid, which I think is also very important to be to be aware of that. So uh, before I let you go, Ryan, um, if you could give your your plugs um, um, for your uh, your reach out Lafond and um, anything else that uh, you know you want to direct people to. Sure. So um, I'm going to give a shout out to an organization that a lot of libertarians probably know is Donorcy. Yes. We've done stuff with Donorcy. Um, there's a lot of people that in Haiti uh, that work with Donorcy and um, they're all vetted 
And that's a good place if you don't know anywhere else to go. Mm-hmm. They, they really support people that are doing good work there. Um, my organization is called Reach Out LaFond. You just Google Reach Out LaFond. And LaFond is L-A-F-N, L-A-F-O-N-D. Um, and uh, we would love to have you on board. We'd love you, even if you can't donate, just reading about us and keeping us in your thoughts. If you're uh, praying sort, you know, uh, that always goes a long way. Um, and my son works with an organization called Kids Connection Haiti. Um, and I know them very well. And their mission is a little different with ours. They work with mostly older teens or, or, or young adults and their job is trying to rescue them from violence and being involved mm-hmm. in gangs and getting them an education as well. So, all right, yeah. Ryan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me, John. It was truly a pleasure. One of these days we'll have to talk about gardening and all that other stuff too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank, yeah. thanks again, Ryan. Right. You bet, John. Thank you. All right. Well, that is a wrap for today's show, guys. Hope you uh, got something out of that interview and learned something um, about Haiti. I, I know that that I did, and hopefully you all will consider uh, taking a look at these different organizations. Uh, I just want to remind you, if you enjoy this show, if you like what you're listening to, please do subscribe um, either to the Lions of Liberty Network, where you get my show and Brian's show, and uh, any other show we do, which mostly is just me mores on Friday. Or if you just want to hear my show here on Finding Freedom, just subscribe to the Finding Freedom solo feed. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. I'll be back next week with another guest, another awesome show. But in the meantime, always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. 